0: in the study of your word. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to you right now. And Lord, just encouraged. How we need to be encouraged and and edified, instructed through your word. So I pray that we'd be still right now, that there'd be no distractions. And and Lord, just listen. Just listen to um, the word being taught. Listen to your Holy Spirit just ministering to us and the things that you want to say to us. And we do pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you were here last week and going through the book of Joshua in chapter 7, chapter 7 started out, but the children of Israel. And as you recall last week, we looked how um, there was defeat for the children of Israel as they continue to be in the land that God has given to them. And this defeat would come... Right after their great victory that they had against Jericho. Of course, chapter 6 is that very familiar portion of scripture where the children of Israel walked around Jericho for six days. And then on the seventh day, they would walk around the city seven times. And then it would be the priests that would blow the ram's horns. And they would give a great shout and the walls came down. And so it was uh, just a great work of God in bringing them that victory against that mighty city of Jericho. Jericho was a walled city, matter of fact, a double walled city, and uh, it was something that God was showing to them that He was going to give them victories. Already promised them that I'm going to take you into the land, I'm going to give you this land, I'll drive out the inhabitants, I'll give you victory, you need to trust in me, you need to to step out in faith and continue to do that. And so it was a huge lesson for them to know that God was with them and working on their behalf. And after that great victory, we saw in chapter 7, but the children of Israel, that's the way it started out. And you recall that when the Lord said, when you have victory against Jericho, First of all, the first fruits go to me, that is the gold and silver, the spoils are going to go to me, just as he had told them that when you go into the promised land, that I want the first fruits that includes in the years that they 're there in the harvest and uh, the grain fields and the fruit, God gets the first fruits of the animals, but also in their warfare as well. He wanted the first fruits, and then he said that do not take any of the accursed things that is those things that may be attributed to idols and and the Canaanite gods, you are to burn those things. And if anyone does take of those accursed things, then trouble is going to come to the children of Israel. And we know that that was the cause of trouble in chapter 7 as the children of Israel had committed sin against the Lord. That is, it was Joshua that was ready to continue on in battle. Their next battle was a little city called Ai. Ai in the Hebrew means small. And so it was the spies that came back from Ai. They told Joshua, Joshua, it's just a little place. Only send two, maybe 3,000 guys up there to wipe it out and to mop it up. And so that's what Joshua did. There's no record of Joshua going to the Lord and asking the Lord, how is it that he should go against Ai? And so Joshua sends those 3,000 men. They come back defeated. 36 of them were killed. And it was Joshua, after that defeat, that he was on his face before the Lord throwing dust on his head and and it was a sign of mourning and a sign of, of seeking the Lord. And he was saying, Lord, why this defeat? Why did you even bring us into this land to be defeated? And we would have been content just to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. And it was Joshua that said, oh, what about your great name? And Joshua had a lapse, or he, he was faltering at that time in faith. He had forgot about the word of the Lord, or he was doubting it. Uh, he was questioning it, and the faithfulness of God. And God is always faithful to his word given to you and to me. We We don't need to doubt that. But here's the thing. As I go through the scriptures and I look at great men of faith like Joshua, like Moses before him, as I look at others, Abraham, uh, you go through the Old Testament, David, the New Testament, men that God used, men of faith, they would be ones at times that they found themselves being weak. They found themselves faltering. They found themselves a little bit questioning. And in the honesty of their hearts, as they went to the Lord, the Lord would minister to them and bring them back to that place of strength and walking in faith and walking with the Lord. And we see that throughout the scriptures. And that's good news for you and for me. Because there are times in our lives where we begin to question. There are moments, there are situations, there are circumstances that perhaps we face that we think, Lord, you know, is your word true? Do you really see me? Do you really love me? Do you really want to work on my behalf? And it's in those times that we, in the honesty of our hearts, we go to him and we can allow the Lord, as we open up our hearts to him, to just minister to us and strengthen in us and just renewing the promises that, yes, you know what, my word is true and I am faithful and I'm going to work on your behalf. So Joshua, get up. There's sin in the camp. And Joshua, of course, would hear from the Lord that they had taken from the accursed things. So the next day, Joshua calls out the tribe of Judah, and then he calls out a certain family, and then he singles out Achan, and then Achan was taken out and stoned. And so now as we go into chapter 8, we see now the Lord said to Joshua. A lot different than chapter 7, isn't it? Chapter 7 was, but the children of israel because there was sin and now it starts out that now the lord said to joshua now the children of israel are going to experience victory once again. We continue reading in verse 1 Do not be afraid nor dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho and his king. Only as spoil and his cattle you shall take as booty for yourselves. Lay an ambush. Uh, for the city behind it. And so now that sin has been dealt with, it's time to move forward. It's time to experience victory once again. And I hope that as we've been going through the book of Joshua, seeing these very important principles in every chapter uh, of how it is that we can come into the fullness of, of God's blessing, experience the fullness of the abundant life that he desires for you and I to have. And so one of the things that we learn is not only what to do in stepping out in faith and trusting the Lord, but also what not to do. And we need to understand that God's not going to bless sin if there's sin in our life and carnality in our life if there are those things that we're practicing, those things that we're involved in or that we're entertaining that are contrary to the way that God wants us to live. He's not going to bless that. And so, the way for us to have victory in Christ and and to have that abundant life that He desires for us to experience is to continue moving forward in the things of God. Now, I am very thankful that when I do fail and when I do uh, fall short, that there's God's grace and His forgiveness. And there is his love that remains. And that's what we're going to see in this chapter. That victory is still possible as confession is made. There's repentance. And then we can move on, move forward in the Lord and in his grace. I love that verse that says in First John that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And confession simply means that what you're saying to the Lord is, I'm in agreement, Lord, that what I have done is wrong. And, Lord, I I confess it, I understand it's wrong, and I turn away from it. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, when we do sin. And so here, Joshua, now it's time to move forward. It's time to move on. But also note this, that the Lord is telling Joshua how it is that they should go up against Ai. Joshua isn't making his own plans like he did there in chapter 7. But here the Lord says, you take all the people to go up and do battle. Not just a few thousand, but you're going to take all the people. All the people are going to be involved, and we're going to see how this ambush is going to be set up by the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6 tells you and I that we're to put on the whole armor of God. And as we do battle, you and I, as Christians, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places uh, against those demonic forces. It's a spiritual battle that you and I are against. And the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 6 that the enemy desires to throw those fiery darts at us, so Paul says put on the whole armor of God. Not just some of it, but all of it. And each and every day, it's important that you and I put on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and those other pieces of armor that you can go through it's a wonderful study to do in Ephesians chapter 6 but each and every day put on all of the armor of God you don't want to come out in your day without your helmet of salvation or your breastplate of righteousness or without the sword of the spirit because the enemy's looking for you to have that stuff and not with you he's looking for you to come out and not paying attention and don't have the whole armor of God on we need to go in full strength And that is put on the whole armor of God, relying on the Lord and trusting on the Lord. But also, I just want to mention this at this time in our study as well. That notice that the Lord, as as Joshua goes to the Lord, the Lord is speaking to Joshua. And we see that throughout the the scriptures. We saw it with Moses and Moses and the Lord always having a conversation. The Lord always telling Moses what to do. But I think that it's so priceless and so wonderful and, and amazing To have God speak to us. And God does speak to you and I. He speaks to us through his word. He's speaking to us tonight as we read this. As we just open up our hearts to him and allow him to, to prompt our hearts and to teach us and to make application. He speaks to us in that still small voice as we just continue to grow in the Lord and to look to him. And the Lord desires to speak to you. Don't ever think that God never speaks to me. Well, when you read his word, he's speaking to you. This is God breathed all of it, this Bible, and he desires to speak to you in that still, small voice, just like he told Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here in the cave? And you see, Elijah was looking for the Lord in the wind, and then the fire, and the earthquake, and the Lord wasn't in it, but the still, small voice of the Lord, and I pray for you and I that as we grow in the Lord, that we would be sensitive to hearing that still small voice of the Lord, just the Holy Spirit, uh, just speaking to our hearts about things, confirming the word of God in our hearts. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that we should be at awe that God would speak to us. And he's speaking to them, I want you to move out. I want you to move out in obedience. And it's the same with us. He desires for us to walk in that obedience as well. And so verse 3, we see that here's the plan. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready." Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them. Verse 6, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. And then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. Joshua, here's the plan. This is what you're to do. Not take 3,000, but you're going to set up 30,000 men. And what you're going to do is set up an ambush. And when the the men of AIC, as the rest of us are going to go up to the city... And, and they're going to see us. They're going to pursue us. Then those 30,000 are going to rise up. They're going to siege the city, and then they're going to end up burning the city. He continues to give more detail concerning what the battle plan is in verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stay between Bethel and Ai on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. Bethel there. Uh, We know that Ai was north of of Jericho in that area where Bethel was. Now, Bethel may ring a bell with you. Remember it was Bethel, that it was Jacob in the book of Genesis, that he had that dream as he was running from his uh, brother Esau. Esau was very upset because it was Jacob that received the blessing and not Esau. And so it was Jacob that took off, and as he's on the run, He would have a dream one night. He put up a rock as a pillow. Pretty brutal, isn't it, when you use a rock as a pillow? And as he's sleeping that night, he has a a vision, a dream, and angels are ascending and descending on a ladder. And, of course, it was God confirming the covenant that he'd made with Abraham and then his father Isaac that jacob all this land i'm going to give to you and to your descendants so that covenant would be confirmed through jacob and jacob called that place bethel which means the house of god and it would be that place where god confirmed with jacob that i'm going to be faithful to see the covenant that i gave to your father and your grandfather and as those are going and pass through you i'm going to see you through and now the children of israel are once again in this area of Bethel that's being mentioned. And God's going to give them Ai, and he's going to give them Bethel. It's interesting that it would be, sadly, later uh, on in their history, as you go through the books of the prophets, that Bethel would be end up being a major place of idol worship. After the reign of Solomon, when the nation split in two, it was Jeroboam that set up a temple to the golden calf, Uh, that was in Dan up north, and then also where else? In Bethel as well. So it became a place of idol worship. Um, And so, uh, sadly enough, that's what happened in their history. So just a little note of interest, I thought that you'd like to know. But here, Joshua setting up this ambush, verse 10, Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people. And uh, that's what I have to do in the mornings to my kids. I have to muster them up and get up early and let's get going, guys. And He went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And he came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. And so what we see here is Joshua uh, and others camped in front of the city on the north side. They're going to be seen. They're going to entice the soldiers of Ai to come out. Now notice something here in chapter 8. It's different than chapter 6, isn't it? God's working differently in this situation. And in our own lives, as we have battles, as we face the enemy, as we have circumstances and situations that we end up facing, God's going to work differently in those times. Now, he's going to be faithful to keep his word, and he's not going to contradict what he says to you and to I, but he'll work differently in specific details in our lives. He didn't say to Joshua, okay, Joshua, this is AI. What I want you to do is march around the city six days, and then on the seventh day that you're going to march around seven times and then blow the trumpets and the walls will come down and you'll have great victory. Same story, same you know uh, plan. God's working differently, and he will, as we go through the book of Joshua and they They conquered a land. We see that throughout the scriptures, that God working differently in the hearts and in the lives of the people of God. And he will with you and I as well. But know that he'll be faithful and he is working for you. So don't be surprised when you come up to a battle and you think, well, God, why aren't you working in the same marvelous way that you did before? He's going to work, but maybe differently, maybe in a different time frame. And he's going to work differently in your life than he is to the person next to you or the person across the room. He works differently in all of our lives. But here's the key. Remember that God is working on your behalf and know that he's faithful. But in every situation or different situations, that is, he is going to work in in different ways. So be patient and look to him and continue to be sensitive to his leading as he does that. And so here he's working definitely in a different way as they set up this ambush in verse 12. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear garden west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst Of the valley. So there's going to be a third contingent of soldiers, about 5,000 of them, that are going to be used to cut off um, any reinforcements. That is, When Joshua and and all the people show themselves to Ai, it's going to be the king that's going to say, all right, let's go after them. Uh, We're going to defeat them. These guys aren't so tough like we thought they were, and so let's pursue them and let's get a victory. And so as as Joshua retreats and the men of Ai come out of the city, then those 30,000 are going to rise up, go into the city, burn the city, and take the city. And then as those men of Ai turn around, they see the smoke rising from their you know city being burned they're going to want to come back and this 5000 is going to cut them off and do battle with them so it's a brilliant military plan as you look at it but but notice that god is using this plan and he uses their past defeat and failure to their advantage doesn't he In other words, the men of Ai are going to run out and say, we're going to get victory again. They retreat at once, they're going to retreat again. And God's going to use it to his advantage in this plan he's giving. You know what? He promises to work all things out for good. And one of the things that I love about God's grace is that I know that we can learn from our past failures and our past mistakes. And I know that, that all of us, I think, can say, if not all of us, at least I think most of us, but I think there are times in our lives where, you know what, we experience the setbacks. We experience the disappointments or the, the failures or whatever it might be, the defeats. And know that God can take that and he can work it out for good. When you come back to him and say, Okay, Lord. I'm going to continue on with you. You see, Joshua was thinking, why don't we just go back to the other side? No, don't retreat. You keep moving forward. And you see, Paul the apostle, as I look at his life in the New Testament, Paul was one that persecuted the church before he came to know the Lord, didn't he? I mean, he caused havoc on the church. Acts chapter 8 opens up, and that word havoc means that he was like a crazed animal going after the Christians there in Jerusalem, and he was pulling them out of their homes, and he was having them commit to prison and put to death, and so the Christians would then begin to fan out due to that persecution, due to Saul. Saul was so crazed that he was on his way up to Damascus to arrest Christians there, and so as he's on his way there, of course, he meets the Lord. He's converted on the road to Damascus. And it would be Paul the apostle. He would, Saul, change his name to Paul, or the Lord did that. And he would be used of the Lord. We, we know how Paul was used to go to the Gentiles in his missionary journeys. And, and so we talk a lot about Paul on Sunday mornings as we're going through those epistles and stuff. But Paul was one that he persecuted the church. In one part of the New Testament, he says, I was a waster of the church. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians later on that he's going to say, I'm the least of the apostles by the grace of God in which I persecuted the church. And Paul was just amazed at this incredible grace that God had poured on his life and and saved him and then using him in the way that he did. Because he said, I persecuted the church. But Paul was one in his past failings and mistakes. God used it to where he was a champion of grace. And Paul would stand on the grace of God and write about it. And I am so thankful for that. I can't help but think about Peter. Think about Peter. Easter is going to be coming up, Resurrection Sunday. You realize three weeks from Sunday. And as we get closer to Easter, we start thinking about the, the crucifixion of Jesus and Holy Week and uh, then Resurrection Sunday. But when Jesus was arrested uh, that night, it was Peter in that upper room and the disciples that had said, we will stand by you. And and Jesus said, no, you won't. And Peter said, I'll stand by you, Lord. These other guys may forsake you, but not me. I'm Peter. And the the Lord said, oh, Peter, before this night is over, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, I won't. And I think Peter was sincere, and he really wanted to stand by the Lord and for the Lord. But he was doing it in his own flesh. And we know that when Jesus was arrested there in the garden, he was taken to Caiaphas' house, and Peter would follow, and he would be in the courtyard of Caiaphas. And what happened? It was Peter that denied the Lord three times, and he heard the sound of the rooster. And it says that Peter wept bitterly. He didn't just shed a tear. He was weeping deep in his soul. He thought that he had sinned away the day of grace, that he had severed his relationship with the Lord forever. And it would be on that resurrection Sunday when those women were at the tomb and discovered that the body of Jesus was gone, that he'd risen from the grave, that one of the angels said to the women, you go tell the disciples and Peter, you go and tell Peter that Christ is risen, the Lord is risen, and He's alive. In John chapter 21, of course, we would see that Peter would be restored to ministry as on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Peter, go and feed my sheep, love my sheep, feed my sheep. And it would be a few days after that, not long, a few weeks, that Peter standing in Jerusalem and 3,000 got saved. You talk about God's grace. You know, there's some historical notes that are made that, that Peter, when he was in his ministry and in Jerusalem, that people would mock Peter when he was preaching. Some skeptics and those who didn't like Peter. And you know the way that they would mock him? They would make the sound of a rooster. And you see, in your own life, there may be those who will come alongside and they may, you know, make the sound of a rooster in your ear. Cock-a-doodle-doo trying to remind you of your past failures and weaknesses and defeats. But I am so thankful that we can take those things and put them under the blood of Jesus. So what does Paul write in Philippians chapter 3? He says, one thing that I do, one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward to those things which are ahead. In other words, I forget about those things. It wasn't that Paul said, I won't ever remember those things. He remembered them. But he was saying, I'm not going to let these things paralyze me, prevent me from moving forward and moving ahead. I press towards the goal the prize the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I pray for every single one of us that experience perhaps defeat or failure or, or whatever it might be in our lives, that we would say, one thing that I do, that I'm going to forget about those things which are behind and press forward to those things which are ahead. I'm going to put it under the blood of Jesus Christ, and I press towards the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't God's grace amazing that, that we can do that and we can say that? That I am forgiven, and Lord, let's move forward. And that's what they're doing here. So verse 17, the ambush has been set up, and it happened when the king of Ai saw it. ...that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people. And at a point appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel, so they left the city open and pursued israel and so the king of ai falls into the trap he falls into this trap now i want to kind of do a flip side of this this is the enemy that falls into the trap but you and i as we walk in god's wisdom we don't have to fall into the trap of the enemy that's set for us do we second corinthians says that we are not to be ignorant of satan's devices and the thing is that as you and I know the scriptures and as we know God's word and as we walk in God's wisdom, and isn't that what Paul's been talking about in 1 Corinthians over these last couple weeks that we've been studying from chapter 1 and chapter 2 as we move into chapter 3, he's he's pressing upon them God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. And and to walk in God's wisdom and know God's wisdom, the simplicity of the gospel, Jesus Christ in him crucified. But Paul would tell Timothy that Timothy that you continue knowing the scriptures, continue in the scriptures that you've known since childhood, that makes you wise for salvation. And Paul in that, he's not just saying that so you get saved and have a ticket to heaven, but but not only do you experience eternal life, but the full orb of God's blessing that make you wise for salvation. And you and I, we don't have to be deceived or fall into Satan's devices. We don't have to to, 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 to be trapped and you can read Proverbs and there's a whole lot in there about the trap of the adulterous woman or the trap of the foolish man or the lazy man or whatever it might be. We can be wise and we can avoid those snares and traps that the enemy tries to set up for you and for me and know that he will do that. He will do that for you and for your family and for this church family. He would love nothing more than to see us fall into his traps and have fallen to fall into his devices and his schemes. So, we are not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes, and we want to know what God's word has to say for us individually, for our families, for this church family, corporately, so we can walk in wisdom and avoid those traps in our lives. Are we really understanding that? That's God's wisdom, not just knowing God's word, but then applying it in our lives. And that keeps us from being cheated and deceived by the world and by the enemy. And by those things that will bring harm and hurt to us. So here is the, the king of Ai and the people of Ai that fell into the trap. And verse 18, the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand and, uh, towards Ai, for I will give it to, uh, into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand towards the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he stretched out his hand. And they entered the city and took it and hurried and set the city on fire. And when the man of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. Now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side, and some on that side, and they struck them down, so they let none of them remain or escape. So defeat comes to the city, they burn the city, every man came out of Ai, they came out with self-confidence, didn't they? They thought, we're going to have victory. This is going to be no problem. And you see, that should give you and I a warning. That you and I will experience defeat if we live our lives in just that self-confidence. And even in those areas where we feel like we're very strong, and I got it together in this area, Lord, we can let our guards down. We want to make sure that we are depending on the Lord in every area of our lives, every single day of our lives. But I don't want to go out with self-confidence. And I know that when I have gone out in self-confidence, that I realize that I'm not as tough as I think I am. Or I'm not as smart as I think I am. And there comes failings or there comes disappointments and all that. My confidence is in the Lord. Paul would say in the New Testament, don't have any confidence in the flesh at all. You're to rely on the Lord. He has saved us. He's done the work. I trust in you, Lord. I want you to lead me and guide me and strengthen me. Do the work that you want to do, Lord. But I don't want to have just self-confidence. And you see, it's oftentimes in our strength that we will have failing. It's oftentimes in our strength that that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being vulnerable to, to, to coming up short in those areas. It's Moses. Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, wasn't he? I mean, that's a pretty strong statement for the Lord to make uh, concerning Moses. The meekest man on the face of the earth. Where did Moses fail? He wasn't so meek. He said, must I fetch water for you? Remember that? Burnish Kania? And, and there at that place, that Moses, who was taking the glory away from the Lord, the Lord said, Moses, come here. You misrepresented me. wasn't angry at the people. And what's this... I get water, it's, you know, or we get water. It's it's me, I'm the one that's providing it for the people. I go back and I think about Peter. I think Peter was a very brave individual. I really do. I mean, Peter was one that stepped out of the boat and and he was the one, the only one that was willing to do that in that storm. And so he steps out and he's walking on water and of course he would sink, but he had courage to step out of that boat. I think if I was in the storm, would I have walked, and stepped out? I don't think so. But Peter did. And even Peter in the garden, when he was trying to stick up for the Lord, when they came to arrest Peter, what did he do? He pulled out his sword, and he got the ear of the servant of the high priest. It took a lot of courage for Peter to do that. But where did he fail? He was scared of a little girl. There in Caiaphas Courtyard. And oftentimes we can think, man, I got it together and I'm going to have victory and I'm strong and I'm pulling out my sword and I'm walking on water. And We stop relying on the Lord. We get our eyes off the Lord like Peter did and he sank. Or we try to continue to muster up that courage in our own strength day after day. And we end up being scared or fearful of things that that we don't have to be. So make sure that each and every day you don't go out in self-confidence, but you go out in the confidence of the Lord. You have the Lord. He loves you. He's with you, and he's working in your life. So verse 23, But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field in the wilderness where they pursued them. And when they had, all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites turned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were twelve thousand, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. And only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as booty for themselves according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it in the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remains to this day. So complete defeat, isn't it? As we go through the book of Joshua, what we're going to see is they're going to have complete victory. there will be complete defeat of the enemies as we're going to read over the next few chapters now sometimes people look at that and say boy that's that's pretty hard or pretty rough but here's the thing that i hope brings encouragement to you and i our enemy is going to be defeated he has been defeated but you know what when jesus comes back it's going to be no mercy against sin that sin is going to be judged now jesus took the judgment for our sins on calvary's cross didn't he And that's good news for you and for me but I can't wait till the Lord comes back, and He sets things straight. And then Satan is going to be bound up and thrown into the, the bottomless pit for a thousand years during the millennium reign. And then eventually, Satan and all his forces and allies and demonic, you know, demons are going to be cast out in the lake of fire forever, and no more evil. Sin is going to be dealt with. No mercy against sin. And I can't wait for that to happen. Because for those of us who have lived, you know, a few years, we see the devastating effects of sin not only in our own lives, but to the people that we love and to this world where sin and death and disease has affected this world. I can't wait till the Lord comes back. And all that has been put away. He has given us victory, Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Disarm principalities and powers. But Satan's still at work in this world, isn't he? And he's still doing battle with you and I. He's been defeated, you and I who are Christians. But the thing is, I can't wait till no more battles. And I can't wait till the Lord comes back and then righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And we see His righteousness that is reigning. But here's the other, again, flip side of the coin: is that Joshua here isn't going to compromise what God told him to do. He said, "Utterly go in and destroy and take them, and and, and do away with the inhabitants. I'm going to give you victory." I hope for you and I that we don't compromise with the enemy ever. That we don't compromise and say, "You know what?" Try to make a peace treaty with the enemy. Just a little bit of sin in my life. A little bit of carnality in my life. Whatever it might be. Because they will end up coming back and biting you. And hurting you if you do. Do not compromise with the enemy. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He'll try to trick you. He'll try to get you to think it's okay if I have some carnality, if I have a little bit of sin in my life. You know what? You're not hurting anybody. Just leave it be. And you can go through all kinds of real neat lessons through the scripture, how there was compromise from what God has told people to do, and it came back, and they ended up experiencing terrible consequences and repercussions because they compromised with the enemy or compromised what God said to them. Don't compromise with the enemy. Don't try to make a peace treaty with him. And so Joshua is going to renew the covenant now in verse 30. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel on Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, um, whose over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered it on burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Then all Israel with their soldiers and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests and the Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses and the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. Verse 34, and afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded what Joshua did not read before all the assemblies of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. So as we conclude the chapter here, what we see is is a fulfillment of what they were told in Deuteronomy chapter 27 as moses finished his final address to the children of israel he said to them when you go into the promised land half of you're going to be on mount Ebal, half of you on mount garrisons there's going to be the blessings and the cursings you remember all that that we went through and we saw the blessings and the cursings in chapter 28 but what you're to do is take these stones these large stones you're not to hewn them you're not to carve on them chisel them out or any of those things but what you're to do with those stones is that you are to write the word of the law that moses has given to you and and put them on that mountain you're to make an altar there and what you're to do is that you are to present burnt offerings and you are to present a peace offering and then there is the reading of the word that was given to them so this is the fulfillment of that But I think there's an important principle in this as we look at this, that as they did this, they're doing it after they've experienced victory. Victory at Jericho, now victory at Ai. They know that the Lord has given them the land, that God's word is true. After you and I have victory, and there are times in our lives that, man, God was working, and you see him working in in a mighty way or a powerful way, or you just experience, you know, just a, a really... Um, victorious time in the lord uh, you're experiencing his abundant blessing whatever it might be that isn't the time to put it in cruise control or to get sleepy and lazy spiritually all right here the lord is saying i've given you great victory in jericho and ai now this is what i want you to do i want you to to do this what i told you to do Remember the blessings and the cursings and write the law on the rocks and then you are to present burnt offerings. you remember what the burnt offering was? Leviticus chapter 1 where they would take that animal, lay it on the altar and consume all of the animal. It, it was an offering of total commitment to the Lord. And then the peace offering, you remember? From the book of Leviticus, what was that? That was a fellowship offering, wasn't it? And so here... The Lord is reminding them what's important and important for you and for me. In all times, in times after victory especially, don't let your guard down. But you continue in the word of God. All right? You write down the word of the law, the book of the law on these rocks, and you read it to the people. You and I continue in the word of God. And then you continue to have an attitude of I give total commitment to you, Lord. I surrender my life to you. And then you also have that that peace offering. That is, we have peace with God, then we can have fellowship with God. Just a fellowship with Him and stay close to Him. You continue keeping in surrender and worship and obedience of the Lord, but don't kick it in cruise control or get lazy or lethargic spiritually, and that can happen. We can think, oh, I experienced great victory. I've been there, done that. You know, everything's cool. And then pretty soon you find yourselves where, you know, you start to, to lack in Bible study or your prayer life or whatever it might be. But continue on in those things. It's very important for you and I to remember that. And to continue all the days of our life, And saying, Lord, I want to be a burnt sacrifice to you, a a living sacrifice, totally committed to you. And I have opportunity to just fellowship with you and be close to you. And Lord, I just want to continue on in your word. And there can be a real danger, particularly with those of us who have been coming and we've been studying the scriptures you know, over the years and, and verse by verse and gone through the scriptures and you're on your devotions and you're going to Bible study, that pretty soon you start thinking, well, you know what? We've been through those books. We've studied those things. And, and Bible study doesn't become a priority anymore. All of a sudden, serving the Lord, oh, I served the Lord for a little bit. I, I did that thing. Well, the Lord's not through in using you. Or your prayer life starts to lack. And so we need to be careful that we stay close to the Lord. And it can happen, especially when there's victory. Unfortunately, I've seen it with families. Families that, and individuals that they're growing in the Lord and experiencing God's blessing. And, you know, they're here and they're, they're growing a lot and they're excited. And all of a sudden, just kind of don't see them. All of a sudden, just kind of, well, we've got other things we need to do, put in priority of other things. And I hope that you, I'm articulating this well enough, and I hope you're understanding my heart on this. I understand that we're not always going to be here. But the priorities of those things, of just staying close to the Lord and continuing in the Word of God and serving the Lord is no longer a priority. The other things begin to, to gravitate um, you know, and grab our hearts, that is, and grip our hearts those things that perhaps don't have a whole lot to do with the things of God. It was important that they went through this, and it's important for us in the good times and the bad times that you stay close to the Lord and continue on each and every day. So they renew this covenant that was given to them that they were told in Deuteronomy chapter 27, and in chapter 9 it came to pass, when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and the lowland and all the coast of the Great Sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorite, the Canaanites, the Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So we see here with this victory that they had against Jericho and against Ai, the Canaanite kings joined forces to come against Israel. Isn't it interesting that these Canaanite kings that probably really didn't have a whole lot to do with each other, all of a sudden they realize that we, we want any chance of defeating the children of Israel. We've got to join forces. And it's true today that you will see this banding together of groups in the world that have nothing to do with each other. But when it comes against Christianity or against the Bible or against Jesus, they will band together to fight And I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. And you're going to see that there's going to be an intense battle because the world and then Satan and his demons are joining together in full force in this battle because he knows that his time is short. And so you're going to see this great banding together, of the world groups, people that wouldn't have anything to do with each other or don't even like each other, will band together to come against Christianity, against you and I, who stand on the truth of God's word. So I want to encourage you to stay strong. It's interesting, again, as we look at the Gospels, and it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were determined to put Jesus to death. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't like each other. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the separated ones. They were the ones... They said, we're going to keep the most minute details of the law. And it was the Sadducees who were more of the liberal elite of the nation, the religious leaders. And they were the ones that didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in much of anything. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other at all. And we see evidence of that when Paul, you remember, in Acts chapter 21, he got arrested there in Jerusalem. And the men of Jerusalem stormed the temple and they were going to kill Paul, and the Romans came and took Paul under, you know, protective custody. And, and, and so they would take Paul eventually to the Sanhedrin Council. Seventy members made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. Paul was a Pharisee himself at one time. He knew they didn't like each other, so Paul just mentioned the resurrection at that hearing, and another riot broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They did not like each other, but when it came to putting Christ to death, they banded together. The world will band together and the enemies of God are going to band together in these days in which we're living, which means that you and I, we need to band together and encourage one another, pray for one another and encourage each other to stay strong and continuing in the word of God and seeking the Lord and praying for one another because there's going to be a real battle out there. Praying for this church, praying that we don't compromise, that we stand on the truth of God's word, that we love this the people of this community and we give them the truth of the gospel. But Satan is not just going to stand idly by and say, oh, look at what they're doing at Calvary Chapel. Man, they're really standing for the truth and people are growing. I think I'll give them a break. Uh-uh. And I pray that we would look to the Lord and trust in Him because they're going to have victory. We'll see that next week, how it is that they have victory. Just as He desires to continue to use us and to use you as we just look to Him and stand by Him, stand for Him. In Jesus' name. And Father, we do. We thank You that um, Joshua is such a wonderful book for us. And knowing how it is that we can, Lord, just be strong in You and and Lord, after the failings and defeats that we have in our lives, that we can put it under the blood of Jesus and we can move forward. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here tonight, maybe the Lord's been dealing with you in some area of your life. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's an attitude of your heart that's wrong, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger. Maybe it's something that you've been ignoring the Lord. He's telling you to do and prompting you. Whatever it may be. Lord, if there's any of us tonight that come in that we can know that if we confess our sins, being in agreement, that you, as we confess our sins, are just to forgive us of all of our sins. You died on Calvary's cross for our sins. We have forgiveness. Or Lord, if there's something that we're struggling with, that once again we can come to you and plead for help. Or maybe, Lord, tonight you've been telling us to talk to somebody or deal with a situation we've been ignoring, that you give us the strength to do that. Whatever it might be, Lord, that we can press forward Know that your love remains and that, Lord, you desire to show yourself strong on our behalf. To show us your faithfulness and your goodness. To give us victory as we step out in faith and in obedience. So, Father, I pray that tonight we would be encouraged and that as we just continue the worship that we would be amazed at your grace.